Welcome to another episode of And Another Thing, the podcast that continues to set records around the world. And then, as we always do, we break those records. My name is Jody Jenkins. My name is Tony Clement. And we are thrilled for another episode. Tony, I got to tell you right off the top, last week's episode with (laughs) comedian Ben Bankus, a ton of feedback. Like, I was literally getting texts and emails and some messages, not a ton on social media, mostly like personal emails, just how funny that guy was. So if you haven't listened to that episode, you got to go back and listen to Ben. But did you have any feedback on that? one? Yeah, I got uh, people were very excited that he was on the program. No question about it. And he's really making a name for himself. He, as, as he explained uh, it, he's doing live shows again. He had a live gig last night, but he's also doing these posts, you know, where he's making fun of uh, our political (laughs) And, and health leaders, and they're very funny. So uh, I'm glad he's finding some success. All right. We want to thank right off the top our presenting sponsor, John Mutton and the crew at Municipal Solutions. You can find them online at municipalsolutions.ca. And Tony, I know that you have a little bit more info on that and then a couple other sponsors as well. Yes, Jody. Of course, I also want to thank our presenting sponsor, Municipal Solutions. And in case you're wondering, John Mutton and the team have uh, basically specialized in development services and project management. So if you need a development approval or you need permit expediting, planning services with municipalities, engineering services, architectural services, if you have a minor variance application or a land severance issue, or if you just need a building permit, municipalsolutions.ca is there for you. They will help you out. And, of course, they're a great sponsor of our show. And then we have Chris and the gang at Polytrack, your all-in-one advocacy management platform. Polytrack offers GR Pros, a secure hub, to store their advocacy data. This includes stakeholder contact details, engagement reports, key messages. So you visit polytrackwithaq.com, mention and another thing podcast when, when you sign up and you receive their white glove onboarding service free, including tutorial and Q&A for your team. So all you GR Pros out there, check out polytrack.com and then our newest sponsor the magnify video widget yes a canadian crisp clear and secure video collaboration platform your way embed and customize the magnify video widget on your own website in minutes or run it from your browser on the magnify app it is easy and secure for all your video collaboration needs go to magnify with an i dot io or twitter magnify underscore io and don't forget about our exclusive partnership with looneypolitics.com use the code podcast get 50 percent off your annual subscription which gives you access to exclusive articles videos and podcasts like ours meaning that we have guests that you cannot get on any other platform you have to subscribe to looneypolitics.com so make sure you go check that out, and uh, we're excited. We have a new one coming up that we're going to record, and it'll be on the on that site very, very. Yeah, soon. we're very excited about that one as well. So we're uh, that, that'll be our third, Jody. Is that right? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. We're only three months in, I think, with them. Sure. So we're uh, we're looking forward to continuing that, and and as, as we've been told by Robert, who runs uh, LooneyPolitics.com. of MPs and senators listen to our programs. It doesn't mean they like it. 
I'm sure a couple <laughs> of them think we're jerks. Like I'm sure Garrettson, if Garrettson's yeah. listening, yeah, yeah, he definitely is pissed off at us. That's why he's not, not returning now. my calls. Yeah, yeah. He, he, that's why he's not returning my calls. But but I, I would laugh so hard if he was sitting there listening. He'd be laughing too. I bet you he listens to the show. And he's just doubled over. Well, I mean, you know, it's a win-win for Garrettson. He comes on the program. He looks like a reasonable guy. We have a few laughs. We're not going to be vicious with him or anything. He comes on the program. He goes to a whole new level. He, I, he's a stud, in my opinion, if he comes on. The yeah. Show. Yeah. Like legend. Legendary status. So we'll see. Well, we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm not, let's, I'm not uh, holding my breath. Yeah, we have a fun <laughs> guest today. I'm pumped for this one. Uh, lots of political opinion and angles and great stories, I'm sure, as well. And I'll let you introduce them. Yeah, so it's uh, And Another Thing podcast. Great pleasure to introduce broadcaster and columnist Andrew Lawton. He is involved in True North Media. Uh, he has a weekly column for Looney Politics, as uh, as luck would have it. Uh, recently, uh, uh, in the recent past, he hosted the Andrew Lawton Show at 980 C. FPL London Ontario so generally he's out there and uh, I would uh, I'm going to venture to say he to to describe him as a conservative broadcaster and columnist I think that's fair Andrew Lawton welcome to the program welcome hey it is uh, great to be with you both thanks for having me no, it's great to have you on the program. Of course, uh, you and I have interacted in the past. I think I, you had me on your show uh, in London uh, in times gone by. But I guess for our audience who may not know your work, I really would like to start with a simple question, which is, you know, you've got all this media work you're doing. What's what's your goal? The True North, what's that about? Uh, just give us a, a tour d'horizon, if you will. So I have to have a goal. That's, I guess, a starting point. Well, okay, I'll come up with one. Because you've, you've set me up for failure here. Because, like, the first, you know, 70 minutes of the show was you talking about how funny last week's guest was. And <laughs> yeah. then you have me on. And I'm like, I had no jokes. I didn't know I was supposed to be funny. Um, so True North was really a, a project that was founded by my friend and colleague, Candace Malcolm, to uh, tell the other side of the story. It, it was starting off on, on immigration issues, which, as you know from, from your time in, in politics, Tony, oftentimes are very skewed when they're brought up in the media, if they are at all. And from there, it expanded because we saw there was just this bigger and bigger gulf between what the mainstream media was talking about and what a lot of ordinary Canadians were, were thinking about and, and interested in, not just in politics, but even just in, in the general sort of Canadian society, if you will. Uh, so True North has expanded quite significantly in the last couple of years. I, I think one of the big turning points was the 2019 federal election when I had to like basically just in a series of rental cars and last minute airfare follow Justin Trudeau around the country because the liberals were uh, denying us access to their campaign. To the, yeah, the, they the kicked tour. you off the tour or something. Like, yeah, like numerous times. It was becoming like, <laughs> it was becoming a stick almost but that wasn't the intention like I, and it just kept escalating at first it was uh you can't come here and then it was all right well i'll just you know go to the next one and then eventually police are kicking me out of public venues not i wasn't doing anything like that's the thing i, I was not disrupting but that was actually a moment that i think a lot of canadians realized the importance of independent media so i, I worked for for many years in uh, conventional terrestrial talk radios we call it as you mentioned in my intro there but since then I, i've really tried to uh, 
uh, to keep uh, both feet into independent media and, and really expand these uh, growing areas that I think are so important in the future of media and also the, the future of politics. So True North, it, it, it's a, is it a website? Is it a broadcasting platform? Tell us more about that. Yeah, so True North, uh, tnc.news, it's an online news website, and we have video podcasts, we have audio podcasts, but we really have original journalism and news on a day-to-day basis, a lot of investigative stuff as well. We're expanding, so we're really just trying to make an independent uh, media platform that is uh, not part of the $600 billion bailout fund for Justin Trudeau's uh, preferred journalist, but but actually just a, a scrappy little upstart that's covering these issues that just aren't getting the attention they deserve from from the mainstream media. Yeah, and you did a, a documentary recently on the gun laws. Yes, that actually just, uh, the third part came out a couple of days ago. The final part is coming out on, I think, Wednesday of next week. It's called Assaulted, Justin Trudeau's War on Gun Owners. And the premise behind this is to focus on the stories of the people affected by a lot of the liberal government's really heavy-handed firearms laws. And and we've talked to business owners who were saddled with tens of thousands of dollars of inventory that they now can't do anything with that's sitting in their warehouses, sport shooters whose competitions have effectively been outlawed. A lot of people, again, who, whose stories you just would not know from reading how the CBC covers uh, firearms laws. Now, you're active on Twitter, Andrew. I, that, that's one of the places where we follow one another. Is social media easy going for conservatives or is it tough? <laughs> so you're bringing the jokes now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, no, I, I, I don't... <sighs> I don't think it's easy for anyone. Like I, I'm, I'm one of these people that used to be on Twitter all day, every day, especially back in the heyday of it, like, you know, 2010 or whatever. And it, it, it's not really fun for me anymore. And, no. and I, I don't know when that turning point was. I, I mean, I've always made a point of trying to use it to share work that I'm doing and, and follow work of people that I know and, and like the, the whole uh, social media mobbing has become not an anomaly or an exception, but it's become the rule by and large. So I, I kind of just to keep my sanity with social media, I only engage with people that are engaging in good faith. And it means that, you know, I'm ignoring 95% of what I see on there, but it actually makes for a, a better experience overall. I, I don't think it's exclusive to people on the right that, that those issues happen, but I, I do think it is disproportionately directed at people on the right. So we're in the age of cancel culture, as you know. Uh, And so how, from your perspective, give us your perspective on cancel culture and how conservatives can continue to freely express their views when you're you're right there is a mob mentality out there and uh, people will deny you the right to speak your mind. I, I think that's a, a great question. I mean, I've been through it personally. So my, my own perspective on this is, is something that has, I, I wouldn't say change because I've always been concerned with it. But but when I went through it, I certainly had a, a new perspective and I, I think a, a, an invigorated perspective on it. I, I do think there are two issues here. Number one, people have to support friends and support uh, those who are being subjected to it unfairly. And those are two different categories. And and the reason I, I break it up into that, too, is because there are a lot of people when I was going through my mobbing back when I was a, a candidate in the Ontario uh, provincial election in 2018, people who would say, yeah, listen, I'm on your side, but I, I can't say anything publicly. 
Right. And that was, I think it, it became very tiresome, this, this whole thing of, of, yeah, I'm with you, but just don't let anyone know about it. And, and then the other side is, is strangers. I mean, I see people all the time that are subjected to this, that I may entirely disagree with or in, entirely dislike as people, but I, I kind of have this view that no one deserves to go down like this. So I've tried to, uh, at the very least, avoid adding any fuel to the fire when I see these things happening. And I've also, as, as a general rule, made a point when I see people in these crosshairs of just reaching out privately and just saying, hey, uh, you, you know, you're not alone. I, I'll defend you publicly if you want. Sometimes that may make things worse if I'm defending you. Right. But but I try to, to generally tell people that cancel culture only works when it's not met with any resistance. And the whole point of it is that if there's resistance, oftentimes a silent majority, it has no power. Well, this is it. And, and uh, you know, uh, I've seen those other situations that, that you've just uh, alluded to where someone tries to do the pylon and then people say, dude, you know, you're being totally unfair here. And it, it, it fizzles out like a, like a wet squib. And so that's, you know, that gives me some satisfaction that people are using their critical faculties rather than just mercilessly piling on, right? Yeah, for me, I think one of the most, I mean, it was a her terrible story, but I think one of the most revealing stories was a few years back when some guy was at, I can't even remember where it was, but he was at a sporting event and he had put up a sign asking people to Venmo him some money so he could buy some beer. I think it was Bush. And he was in, I was want to say Iowa or. Oh, yeah. Iowa. Yeah. And and then, you know, he ends up raising a ton of money that he decides to give to charity. Bush gets involved. Everyone's happy. It's just this fun little feel-good story. And then the local, it was, it was Iowa because it was the Des Moines Register, uh, then writes this story in which they've done an investigation into this guy, which should have just been like a, a happy, uh, easy story. And they found, oh, you know, he said something when he was, you know, 16 on Twitter. And, and here's that that had nothing to do with anything. And then Bush drops him, and every all of a sudden, he's just become subjected to this mob. But then the, the turning point of this was that the online sort of vigilantes try to say, hey, well, let's turn on the reporter who did the story and found he had written stuff online, yeah. and, and then he got fired from his job. And at the end of it, I'm like, does no one see here that if we go through this, no one is left standing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. it's uh, it's just uh, cinders and ashes. And, and you make the point, and I'll, then I'll pass it over to Jody, but you make the point that mainstream media is complicit in this, you know, fanning the flames, uh, you know, for clickbait or, you know, other nefarious purposes. So, again, how you know, you're you're standing out with True North and saying, look, we're we're not taking the, the subsidies that uh, government proffers to the CBC and other elements in the Canadian MSM universe. But, so how do we succeed in that environment where the government is subsidizing your competition like that? Yeah, I mean, th those are, I think, two important questions in there. One is, I think, a recognition that social media is not real life. And media has to stop relying on man said this on Twitter as being inherently newsworthy. And, and a lot of uh, media reports that you look at right now are really just kind of a series of tweets pasted together with some transitional lines between them as though Twitter is sort of a representative what's, of what's happening in the world. But then when you get to the point of, of who's talking about these stories and who's telling these stories, I, I do think that 
we already are seeing that change. I mean, even people that have a, a skepticism of independent media or might not be donors to, you know, loony politics or sponsors to your show or, or listeners to mine, th there's still a growing distrust of the mainstream media. But again, for, you know, centuries in some parts of the world, people have relied on brick and mortar uh, news printed on paper in some form. And that is not going to go away overnight. It, it's taking time to do it. And I, I'm not calling for the obliteration of the mainstream media. I just think there needs to be a, a bit of a a bit of a reevaluation, if you will, or maybe an evaluation of of where they are and 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 how they can recapture that trust. Jody. Yeah, I'm just I'm just taking it all in. I'm just listening here and kind of articulating or trying to figure out how to articulate my thoughts. But Andrew, the first one you, you mentioned when you were a candidate in the provincial election, I'm, I'd be curious to know, would you, and it's hard never say never, obviously, but would you ever consider running again? Or was that just a, a moment that, you know, just kind of, you're not interested in going down that road again? It's a, actually, it's a really interesting question because I didn't think I was going to run that time. So I don't have the credibility to say never, but I, I'm pretty confident I could say never. It was really a, a perfect moment for me in my life. So my, my show had uh, just been uh, canceled. It was just two months until the provincial election. There was no candidate in my riding for the, the PC party, which was more aligned with where I was and I, I knew Doug Ford and, and was very fond of Doug Ford. And at the time, it just seemed like, you know what, I'm in and out. Like, if, if I lose, I've wrapped up two months of my life in this, and then I move on. If I win, then I have this going. And it's not to say that I, I didn't think seriously about it. I, I certainly did. But it, there were just a lot of things that made it make sense at that time. I don't have that now. And also the the mo the incentive to do it seems to be gone. I mean, when I look at how Ontario politics has gone in the last uh, the last three years or the last year and a half in particular, I'm I'm very grateful that I was unsuccessful on that day yeah. in June, yeah. 2018. Yeah, and I know Tony and I have had these conversations before, and and obviously Tony comes from you know obviously a different time in politics, but also has experienced. Uh, what the new world of politics is like as well. And, and as a, I was a city councillor and a candidate as well in some federal and provincial elections. But, you know, the each day that goes by, I sit and say, I have, because I get that question too, but I have no desire at this moment based on what the landscape is like and how toxic the environment can be. And I, you know what? People ask me all the time. They say, you know, I'm thinking of running. Would you, like, what are your thoughts? I, I'm honest with them. I say, look, you can never take it. It's an experience you'd never forget. But if I'm being completely honest, don't do it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it to yourself. It's not worth it to your family. It's not worth it to your friends. It's just there's no there's no payback. I, I'm I Tony might disagree, but I I think that nowadays, good people. I think we need less politicians, not more. That's my view. Well, it's funny you should say that, uh, Jody, because uh, for 25 years in elected politics, when people asked me, and people did come to me, and they still come to me and say, should I run, you know, and and I would go through this. You, you should always run, you know, public life is is a virtuous life. We need good people in public life. And, and a part of me still believes that. But I've got to warn people now, <laughs> you know, that it's it's not all the land of milk and honey. And, 
you know, people are going to hate you. People are going to try to bring you down. People are going to try to bring down your family. There's no honor in it anymore. And uh, that's uh, that's just the reality. People will stab you in the back. People will stab you in the front. Yes. Uh, uh, so, uh, you know, uh, are we are we going to have acclamations because people don't want to n- run? No, uh, there's always going to be contests in politics, but good quality people have to know that uh, it's it's not just what they perhaps see about the the glorification of people because there's a lot more to it than that. So uh, maybe I think we're all learning the same lesson. But we since we've got Andrew here, I, I've got to ask for his opinion about the state of the conservative movement. Where where do you see us right now? Well, I actually think that dovetails on, on a point that you just raised about who's going into politics, because one of my fears, and I think the conservatives are the worst about this for reasons that we can get into, but I, one of my fears is that there's not really any interest for strong individuals to go into politics now from the party apparatus, because there seems to be this idea. And look, I can go back to my experience in which there's this very top-down mentality, the the standard rule. In every election cycle, there are news stories about this of, oh, conservatives aren't doing debates. Conservatives aren't doing interviews. And people always wonder, well, obviously there's someone at the top saying this is, and I I kind of, given my background in talk radio, said, I'm I'm not going to shy away from the media. I'm not going to, you know, shy away from debates. These are things that I can do well in. But the reality is the parties want people that have never done anything controversial, said anything controversial, that have never really stood for anything or done anything. They want people who are going to be blank slates that they can just sort of paste the conservative platform on and say, go out and and knock on doors. And, And it's understandable because you want as little risk as possible in an election, but you, in doing so, take away people who have something to offer, who have something to contribute, and who could actually be very strong intellectual assets to what you would eventually do in a government. And and the, the biggest problem that I see in the conservative movement heading into an election, potentially, is that there seems to be this dogmatic allegiance to playing it safe which trickles from the what the leaders say to what policies are introduced right down to who gets to be a candidate. And at the end of it, you don't really have a party, I feel, that's going to be speaking up for anything of substance. You have a party that's just trying to win and doesn't really know what to do when it gets there. Yeah, it's like a poor version of the winning machine of the Liberal Party of Canada. That's what you're saying. There's no differentiation yeah. on that point. And this goes to what I see as a growing chasm between traditional conservatism and conservative populism, uh, because you know within uh, whether it's the the PPC, the pop, you know the People's Party of Canada, or just populism writ, writ large, there are some populist elements. Like Doug Ford ran as a populist, I would argue a conservative populist. So, but there there there's a growing chasm between those two elements that that I see anyway. Do you see the same thing? Oh, very much so. And I think the pandemic has brought that divide out very significantly in in which you had, again, a lot of the people who have been the most frustrated with the lockdowns and Doug Ford's handling of the pandemic are the people that I think were the ones who pushed Doug Ford to victory in the leadership and ultimately in the election. So uh, the battle lines are definitely being redrawn on this. I, I wonder, given that situation... Is is Trudeau's reelection uh, to a majority liberal government is is that now 
locked in stone or do you see a pathway for uh Aaron O'Toole or for and the role of Jagmeet Singh I mean there's a, there's a lot of factors involved I know but uh, what what are you what are you sensing out there I mean I tr- I really try hard not to take things off the table because stuff happens things change that's the nature of elections but and campaigns do matter I, I'm a firm believer in that although I also go back to 2019 in which if I were to have in 2018 written a script for what would be like the most fantastical, like best case scenario for conservatives. Like, well, like what's the kind, like we're just reaching for the stars here, reaching for the sky, pure fiction. If I could write the script for the 2019 election, what would it be? I'm like, well, Trudeau and blackface. That, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, that's yeah. great. That's never going to happen. Yeah. Okay. Justin Trudeau and blackface. And then no, 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 that, that, no, let's, let's go worse than that. Justin Trudeau spending most of his adult life in blackface. <laughs> Uh, you know, like the video, we'll do song, we'll do a Harry Belafonte number, we'll do a Whitewater, like it's going to be great. And oh yeah, no, okay, yeah, conservative majority right there. And and when you have that being given to the conservatives on the platter, and not being enough to uh, give, not being enough to take away a win from the liberals, you have to wonder and say, what is it that's missing? Right. What is what is it that the conservatives are not doing to make themselves a viable option? for Canadian voters. And certainly there's a media narrative on this, that it's the social conservative effect, which I I don't think is entirely accurate. I certainly think it, it, it hurts, but I don't think it's the issue itself that hurts. I think it's the poor response from conservatives to that issue that hurts. But something needs to change. And, and that is the reality of 2019. It's going to be the reality of 2021, unless the Conservative Party can tell voters why they are a legitimate alternative. Hey, Andrew, I just wanted to jump in here quickly, Andrew, and get your thoughts on messaging, because I've always been a proponent of messaging that resonates and obviously that's hard to do when you're dealing with tons of different demographics and across the country but I always feel that the conservatives don't have the right message and one example I can give you and I share this with Tony as well is that you know I was sitting with a friend of mine at lunch the other day mid-30s I'm 45 and we were talking and he's hardcore conservative and he's actually on the board of our local conservative association but he's very very disenfranchised and disillusioned and he was saying to me on one topic about debt and why, why he, and this is a guy that's focused on the economy. He's a business owner. He, it's important to him. But he said, like, I don't get it. We're on the doorstep talking about debt and it doesn't resonate because nobody has any money anyway. It's every, you know, everybody's in debt up to their eyeballs. And I'm not saying we weren't saying that we have to ignore debt, but the way we focus on it and. I, I don't know. I I think you know what I'm trying to say, but yeah. our messaging is just brutal. That's my opinion. Well, yeah, and I think a lot of people, and this is not exclusive to conservatives, a lot of people in general, in business and in NGOs, in other parties of the Canadian political system as well, will focus a lot on the messaging, but they don't take stock of the message itself and, and say, what are you actually selling? And you can repackage something as as well as you can, but if it's not something that people want to buy, your marketing of it is not going to help. And I do think there's too much of an emphasis on the economy because that is generally speaking the conservative default position. We can always default to tax cuts. That's that's basically the rule. But but at a certain point, that's not the biggest issue for people anymore. No. 
And a lot of the culture war stuff that's happening right now is very relevant to people. A a lot of these battles that are being waged in uh, the schools that parents are sending their kids to, the politics of offices, just general cohesion in society, religious freedom, a lot of these things that are kind of maligned as, oh, those are just, you know, right-wing reactionary culture war issues are the issues that are affecting people in the real world, which is why populism is a thing. So to just sort of expect that, oh, yes, if we just sort of default to the economy and lower taxes and good stewardship of the budget and more money in your pocket, like that is not going to win people over anymore. If it were, there would have been no 2019 result the way it was, and there would have been no polls showing what everything is showing for leading up to 2021. No, I think there's a lot of uh, valuable truth in what you're saying, and uh, uh, I think uh, this is not a new thought, but I, I, it is something that is already being expressed, that, you know, the dollars and cents stuff, yes, it's important, but it, it's not as if 200 years from now people are going to care whether the deficit was $20 billion or $50 billion, right? <laughs> yeah, but they will care whose statue is in the public square. They will care, uh, you know, what the definition of justice and restorative justice is in a society, right? Those are the things that people are arguing about because they're enduring. They, they, they're, they're part of a society's self-definition. And if, if we're just shying away from those topics, uh, I think we're missing, uh, you know, what, what, a lot of people really care about because they can't wrap their minds around deficits anyway. Who can? Uh, the latest numbers are $57,000 per Canadian is the state of the national debt. Well, okay. <laughs> How does that affect me? I don't know. Yeah. Right. So, but, but uh, cu- culture and the, the, the nature of our country and uh, the founding myths of our country, are they still valid? Are they still relevant? Are we completely re- repra- re- replacing all of, our, uh, all of our cultural and political institutions because the, the founding myth is being attacked? And th- these, are, these are big questions, right? They are. And, and one of the things that I, I do believe conservatives have often time failed on, or at least not done as well as they they could have done on, is not engaging in these issues until it's too late. One of the hallmarks of the political left, and I don't mean the capital L liberal party, but the, the cultural left, progressives, if you will, is that when they take a win, they steamroll right ahead to the next battle without even stopping. Which is why, and right. again, it, it, this is not, I, I'm, I'm completely, completely in support of legal gay marriage, but I think legal gay marriage is kind of a, a good... Uh, illustrator of of this dynamic in that you had uh, abortion, which was sort of the the left's big battle in the 70s and 80s. Then you had gay marriage. And then immediately we fast forward to now when we're at transgender washrooms and anyone who uh, doesn't, anyone who says no to uh, self-identifying yourself in any washroom or change room is is a transphobe and a bigot. And once they get that win locked up, they're going to move on to another one. And Well, I mean, get- I'd even go further and say uh, the transgender issue, uh, you know, rights for everyone, uh, that's kind of where I am. But they've gone, they've even gone hopscotch beyond that too. Uh, you can't, yeah, it's wrong if society has people who identify as male or female. That's yeah. that's where we're at now, right? It's not just the transgender having their rights. I, as a male, don't have the right to call myself male, right? 
that's where we're that's where we're yeah, going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, eventually, and you see this in other countries: mother and father being stripped from birth certificates. I think Spain is is one of the more notable examples of this. So, so someone who identifies as a female, someone who is a biological mother, someone who's happy being a mother and is happy being a woman, does not uh, get to identify on their child's birth certificate as a mother. So these things are are significant because it means that institutions that you think you can take for granted, like the existence of biological sex, like the history of your country are actually not safe and and you're very right tony that these things do matter andrew lawton lots to talk about lots to write about uh we wish you every success with true north media of course it's been great having you on and another thing podcast lots of interesting topics and i know you'll succeed congratulations hey it was an absolute pleasure thanks for having me on tony and jody tony lots of conversations with andrew that could go in a multitude of directions Mm -hmm. but i've always enjoyed his opinions i I actually have been following him for a while and we didn't get too deep into his situation with the 2018 uh, provincial election but i felt bad for the guy during all that like he definitely was wronged and and i have no problem saying that and i i side with him on um i'm one of those guys too that will stand up for others when they're being attacked and and uh, I know, I know uh, you will. I know yeah, you. Will. I don't shy away from that. In fact, I try to. I'm like the opposite sometimes on Twitter. Like he says, he ignores. I try to bait people because I like to. <laughs> I like to. Like I, I was trying to get Gerald Butts to respond to me the other day, but he wasn't taking the bait either. But was this on uh, how he was condoning burning of churches? Yeah, uh, so, no, I don't know if it was that or not or something else. But he was just being his typical arrogant self. I wish these guys would come on our show though. Man, if we could get Gerald Butts on. That would be awesome too. I will. I will put out the invite. You know him well enough to do that. Well, absolutely, I do. Jerry Butts. <laughs> I know. I know Jerry Butts. I do. Okay. Perfect. So Sounds like go. an SNL skit from the nineties. No, no, but, don't uh, go down that route. There's serious <laughs> issues here. I'm just saying. But <laughs> <laughs> now I'm thinking of all those classic skits from the nineties with the funny names. <laughs> well, we can all make fun of people's names, Jody. No, no, no. But you remember the Sofa Kings? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was a good one. Yeah. yeah the Gork Soakers. Uh, you're you're incorrigible. Was, uh, look, it's been great doing the show for our uh, for our listeners. This was probably our last episode. Yeah, yeah. It's been our, quite a run. Our 91st episode is our last. Yeah. All right. Well, All right. thanks again to John Mutton and the team at Municipal Solutions for being our presenting sponsor as well. Uh, we want to thank Looney Politics for being our exclusive home for this podcast if uh, again use the code podcast and you'll get 50% off an annual subscription which gives you exclusive access to exclusive content by being an exclusive subscriber on looneypolitics.com and of course uh, not only municipalsolutions.ca but polytrack.com and magnify.io thank you for your sponsorship as well both great products all three great products and uh, great services for people so check them all out All right, Tony, we'll do this again in seven days. Yes, please.